Welcome to Full Rigor, of Florida True Crime Podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. I need your help with an unsolved missing persons case right here in Florida of a tall, she was 5'8", she still could be, beautiful blue-eyed blonde named Jennifer Joyce Kessie. Jennifer Kessie went missing from her newly purchased condo in Orlando and has been missing ever since, I mean, just not a clue where this girl went, since January 23, 2006. Jen had bought uh, a condo directly across the street from Mala Millennia. Moved in November 24th, and exactly two months later, on January 24th, she was abducted. Jennifer was 24 years old when she disappeared. And as I said, she was beautiful, young, successful. She was a fast-rising executive at a real estate company in Orlando. Her parents, Drew and Joyce, say the day she disappeared was just one day after she and her boyfriend, a British expat, Rob Allen, returned from a romantic trip to St. Croix. And Jennifer's dad said he spoke with his daughter the night before she disappeared and everything seemed fine. She sounded fabulous. But her parents, Drew and Joyce, got a call from the CFO of her real estate company asking them to find out if Jennifer was ill. She hadn't shown up for work. She really was never sick anyhow or never never miss work so they tried calling her multiple times so did her boyfriend rob allen who was in fort lauderdale at the time of her disappearance in orlando and there was no answer i just intuitively sensed something has happened everyone called but they got no answer so her parents decided to travel to orlando and check out her apartment it was a condo she just purchased it we were calling hospitals we were calling jails we were calling her friends we're asking them to call places calling rob and he tried calling her even and she did not answer this whole complex was being converted from apartments into condominiums so there was construction going on she had had some work done by handyman i will get to him in a minute as well so when they got to her apartment according to her dad drew it was left in perfect condition it was like she woke up got ready for work left her car wasn't even in the parking lot we actually uh, found two or three outfits laid out on her bed shower was still damp her towel was still damp her work stuff was not there so we knew that Okay, she got ready for work. Now, shortly after she vanished, her car was discovered. It was parked about a mile from her house. And so they, the police, the Orlando PD, pulled the security camera video from the parking lot. And it showed the car coming in and being parked. And then, a couple of seconds later, the camera recorded a person who they just couldn't identify, parking the car, walking away as the person's face was completely blurred. You couldn't see any physical features. They were all obscured. In fact, the tape, it recorded every three seconds. And it was so frustrating because as this guy walked past, he's walking, there's a a metal fence between the camera and the man. And every three seconds, every time the camera took a shot, He was walking behind a post, so you couldn't see his face or anything of him. So there's serious questions here. Did her boyfriend have something to do with Jennifer's disappearance? Or was it a handyman who had recently worked on her unit? Or was it some construction workers who made her feel uncomfortable? She told her dad that they were making cat calls to the beautiful blue-eyed blonde as she passed by. 
The construction workers were actually living in an empty apartment across from her, and they were laying carpet and converting the apartment there into a condo like hers, which she purchased. And by the way, none of those laborers has been identified. The day workers were all undocumented. They disappeared after Jennifer disappeared. Hmm, imagine that. One witness said that he saw someone dumping a carpet roll, a piece of carpet that was rolled up into a lake. And there's video of a phantom person, as I said, dropping off Jennifer's car. So the guy is really thin and he's wearing carpenter overalls and a short mullet in the back, but you can't see his face. The other question is, and her dad, Drew, believes that she could have been trafficked. She could have been taken by sex traffickers, and she could possibly still be alive. My gut feeling to this day, honestly, I, I truly believe she, she is trafficked. Or so her dad thinks and hopes, no matter what. I will find you. I will. And that, just hang in. So, honey, I'm coming. I'm coming. It's been too long, but I'm coming. So as I said, Jennifer was 24 when she disappeared, January 23rd, 2006. She's been missing over 15 years, and her parents are still looking for her, by the way. She was a graduate of Vivian Gaither High School in Tampa. She attended the University of Central Florida in Orlando, graduated from there in 2003 with a degree in finance. And at the time of her disappearance, she was working as a finance manager at Central Florida Investments Timeshare Company in Ocoee. And she had recently bought the condominium in that complex in Orlando. Now, the weekend before she vanished, Jennifer had vacation with her boyfriend, he's from Britain, Rob Allen on St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands. And they returned on Sunday. She stayed that night at her boyfriend's house, then drove straight to work. On the morning of Monday, January 23rd, 2006. So that's the day before. So the next night, 23rd into the 24th, she was home alone. So it shows in her apartment, she woke up, she had some folded clothes on her bed. Her shower was still wet when her parents arrived. And she just vanished off the face of the earth. So three years after her disappearance, there was a detective who decided to take a fresh look at the case because it had gone cold. And he interviewed people. And one of the people he spoke with was a former housekeeper at Jennifer's condo complex. And when he showed that woman the security camera photo of that unidentified person in the overalls with the mullet, she said it resembled a man that she knew from the complex known as Chino because of his hair, clothing, and the way he walked, his gait. Well, this was the first time that the detective had heard of this Chino person. So, Detective Wright, we'll call him, learned Chino used to live in another building at Jennifer Kessie's condo complex and was a former maintenance worker there. And he was one of the workers who did some repairs in Jennifer's condo one week before she disappeared. And Detective Wright also found an anonymous crime line tip that was reported during the first week of the investigation that suggested that Chino might have been involved in Jennifer's disappearance. So the detective finally found Chino. He tracked him down and he was serving time, get this, for statutory rape. So March 18th, 2009, 
This detective interviewed Chino in person and asked him about the time he worked in Jennifer's condo. Well, Chino said Jennifer let him inside her condo. Everything was normal, he said. I don't have any idea what happened to her. And Chino then took a polygraph and he passed it. Case closed on that one. Chino, I, you know, there's nothing to really say about Chino. Chino is just someone that happened to work and live at Mosaic at, at uh, Millennia. And um, he's just someone in a line of people that, you know, we needed to talk to. Um, not as a person of interest, to be quite honest with you, but for his knowledge. I mean, he was there every day. He lived there. He worked there. And he's not alone. There's two or three others that live there and work there that work for Mosaic. And we're speaking to those people. And it's not because we think that they're the person of interest again. It's because I don't think that they know what they possibly know. Because over the years, people come forward with the little minor things, but they make sense to us in the whole. Now, with all of this speculation and suspicion of people working inside the condo complex, I just wanted to bring up a story that happened this week. Well, actually, it's a development of a story that happened recently. And the case involves the death of an Orlando teenager that may lead to improved department safety in the Sunshine State. So this week, lawmakers filed Mia's law. It's for the 19-year-old Mia Mercano, who was killed in her apartment complex. Police believe a maintenance worker attacked and killed Marcano in her home in September, and they were able to gain access with a master key. So they gave a key to a guy with a criminal background, and that's exactly what Mia's law is trying to prevent. It'll create more stringent security standards for apartment and condo complexes to potentially prevent what happened to Mia and Jennifer from ever happening again. And if approved in January, Mia's law would make several changes in Florida. It would require apartments to do background checks on all employees using national databases. That would mean those construction workers as well, who weren't even documented. And landlords would be able to disqualify those convicted of violent or sexual crimes for employment. And it would require apartments to create and maintain logs for keys and increase unit entry notices from 12 to 24 hours. Now back to Jennifer Kessie's case. Her computer was taken for forensic examination, and it was learned that there was a manager with whom she worked that had desired a relationship, but she rebuffed him. He asked her out. She goes, look, (laughs) she refused his advances because she was against workplace relationships, one, and number two, he was married. Detectives interviewed him multiple times, but ultimately ruled him out as a suspect. Now, in 2007, Kessie's company, led by David Siegel, they offered a million-dollar reward, a million dollars, for information leading to her whereabouts with the July 4th deadline. So they did put a stipulation on it. She had to be alive. Well, no one ever claimed it. And there was a $5,000 reward from information leading to the whereabouts of her remains. And that's available through the Central Florida Crime Line if you have any information on where Jennifer Kessie may be or what happened to her, you can call the Kessie family tip line at 941-201-4009. 941-201-4009.
Now, some of this audio I got from Crime Watch Daily, and one of the descriptions of her does say she had green eyes, but if you look at her father, Drew, and her mom, Joyce, they both have blue eyes, and every photo I see of Jennifer, it looks like they're blue, but they're saying they're green, and she wore clear contacts. Also, I have a photo of Jennifer up at 850WFTL.com on Karen's crime blog that is an age progression photo. They juxtapose it with her driver's license photo, so you know what she would possibly look like now. This is what her mom thinks of it. It's a little skewed because when you look at the picture that they're comparing it to, that was Jennifer's driver's license photo from when she was 16. So, you know... That's the artist's rendering of what they perceive Jennifer would look like. As Jen's mom, I can assure you she'd love the tan, but boy, she would hate the hair. (laughs) And so that's really important for you to look at in case you ever see her. You know, you never know. You might be the one that can help crack this case. So as I said, when her dad got to the complex, her apartment appeared that she had been there, gotten up, gotten ready for work, and then got in her car and took off. And... The timeline shows that Cassie left for work on January 23rd and called her parents. That was the last time they heard from her. That was after spending the night with their boyfriend with whom she had just vacationed. Then at 10 p.m. that night, so that would have been the night before her disappearance, she talked to her boyfriend on the phone and they said their good nights. And he's the last known person to speak with her before she disappeared. And apparently she wanted some assurances that he loved her. There was something weird going on in that conversation. Uh, Investigators initially believed that Kessie was abducted as she was walking from her front door to her car. They now believe that she left and was abducted at some point on her way to work, which is weird. Was she carjacked? And her boyfriend, who normally would have heard from her, called her on the way to work, but it went directly to voicemail. That was a red flag for him. His subsequent attempts were unsuccessful. So then... The people at her job were alarmed because it was uncharacteristic that she didn't call or say, hey, I'm not coming in. So her employer contacted her parents who made the drive from Tampa to Orlando. And on the way, they called to ask the manager of her condominium to check her home with a spare key. And that manager reported that everything inside her home looked normal and her car wasn't outside. So at noon, about 1.2 miles away from Kessie's home, surveillance cameras at the apartment complex recorded a person in the act of parking her car and walking away. And that car and the footage were not discovered until two days later. So Kessie's parents and her brother arrive at her apartment. They find evidence that she had been home that morning. They called police. And because she's an adult, you know, police say, hey, she's an adult. She may have left town. She may have gone somewhere on her own volition. Well, the family and friends were not having it because they know that that they just felt this was something terribly wrong. Family and friends saturated the area with flyers that showed her face. The police then sent a detective to her home and began interrogations and searches. That was Thursday, January 26th. So seeing Cassie's car on the news, a tenant of a nearby complex informed the police that the car had sat abandoned in front of their apartment complex for several days. And police confirmed that it was Cassie's 2004 Chevy Malibu and the vehicles photographed and taken for forensic examination. And the police reveal that it had been wiped down. There was no sign of forced entry or struggle. Investigators initially theorized that on the morning of January 24th, Kessie left her apartment for work, locked her front door, only to be abducted at some point while walking toward or getting into her car. You know, in Orlando, police were really excited that there was a camera 
in the parking lot where her car had been left. But as I told you, everything was really blurry and they couldn't tell who the suspect was. The FBI was called in to determine the person's size and gender in the shot uh, from the security camera. But all they could say was the person was between 5'3 and 5'5. So it could have been a jockey. NASA also enhanced the video to help identify the suspects and detectives interpreted the valuables left inside the car that implied that robbery was not a motive in the case. Nothing has materialized exactly, and nothing of hers other than her car, which was found uh, two days after the abduction, has been found. Items in the back seat, which easily could have been pawned, were left there. Obviously wasn't for carjacking. Robbery wasn't the motive, so was Jen uh, the female that was desired? Was she targeted? We don't know. We don't have answers. A search dog tracked descent that led from her parked car to her apartment complex, prompting detectives to believe that the suspect might have returned to her apartment parking lot after abandoning the car. Now, there was no other evidence found along the route, and forensic examination of the car revealed little evidence of any kind, only a latent print and a small DNA fiber. So they deduced, hey, this car has been wiped down. But there are some things known to be missing. Jennifer's cell phone, her iPod, her keys, her purse, her briefcase, the outfit she was wearing. Authorities were unable to ping her cell phone. Its power was turned off and that was it. So no one used the phone after the fact. Her bank account has not been touched since she disappeared. And, of course, it's customary for investigators. They first questioned the immediate family of Jennifer Kessie and close friends to see if any of them had a motive to abduct her. Her ex-boyfriend recently was upset and wishing to get back together with her. He was also interrogated, but it was concluded that he had nothing to do with her abduction. And the current boyfriend was also questioned, but as I said, he had an alibi. He was in Fort Lauderdale, eliminating him as a suspect. Rob has been put over the coals. Rob has been polygraphed three or four times. Rob has been interviewed probably a dozen times. Rob, the boyfriend, was very cooperative and gave DNA twice. And the people that we want interviewed and polygraphed even a second time don't even make it back to the list. It's been a roller coaster ride into itself. And the case is actually more active now than it was in the beginning because of tips that are proving to get them to different directions. That's Jennifer's parents. Neither of them ever suspected her boyfriend, Rob. Jennifer met her boyfriend, Rob Allen, with whom she had just vacationed in 2005 at a bar in Orlando. Rob was living in Fort Lauderdale at the time. He was in town with his roommate for a trade show. And one night, by pure chance, he ended up meeting Jennifer, who immediately made her move on him. They kept in touch for a year. They dated and went back and forth from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale. Their relationship was blossoming. You could say they were a committed couple, then they had genuinely fell in love. So what is Rob up to these days, 15 years later? Well, he lives in Boca Raton with his wife and two children. He's moved on, obviously. He's uh, currently the owner of an English bar by the name of the Lion and Eagle Pub with his brothers. And he's not very active on social media, so it's not really easy to get in touch with him. But he once stated in 2006 that he was just a young boyfriend, but now that he's a father with kids and responsibilities of his own, he has a different understanding of what happened. And each time he thinks about Jennifer, it breaks his heart, he says. He especially laments their last conversation, the one they had at 10 p.m. the night before her disappearance. 
they did talk and he said that they had a bit of a disagreement. She wanted assurance that he loved her and to make sure that he was in it for the long haul. And it was just normal relationship stuff, but everything was fine. He said, unfortunately, though, as she vanished the very next day, it did seem peculiar. However, Rob was cleared by authorities very soon. Well, he was in Fort Lauderdale as alibi proved that he wasn't anywhere near there. Jennifer's family never really believed that he could be behind the abduction either. Rob spent as much time with the family as possible. He gave up days and weeks of his time to help look for her, but in the end, with nothing to be done, he moved on. So as of June 2010, the FBI took on the case, took it from the Orlando Police Department, and did so at the urging of the then police chief, Val Demings, who is now a member of Congress. Cassie remains on the FBI's most wanted missing list. And currently, the Cassie family has gotten all the records from the Orlando Police Department and has hired a private investigator. So you remember when I told you that Jennifer's car was found about a mile away and that there was just one fingerprint found inside of it. Well, after the Orlando Police Department turned over their entire case file, photographic evidence surfaced 13 and a half years after Jennifer's disappearance. And Fox 35 had an exclusive and talked to Drew Kessie about this new photographic evidence of the car. And I have the photo of the hood of her car up at our website, 850wftl.com. Just click on Karen's crime blog. And it's also at my Full Rigor podcast Instagram page. But if you look at the photo, you can see what looks like finger marks that are being dragged down the hood through the dust, along with the impression of a body. Here's Jennifer's dad, Drew. We had an agreement with the Orlando Police Department to obtain all of the files after taking them through the court system. After receiving the files, we received pretty much about 150 pictures of the car, everything. To that date, I think we only saw maybe three or four pictures of the car, and really the same picture and same angle we have seen for years and years and years, but not really in the clarity of some of the other pictures that were in the files. And as soon as we all saw it, we're like, well, what is, what is this? And if you look very close, it truly does look as if someone was slammed down on the front of the hood and almost dragged off with fingers pulling down the hood and its dust and everything. And it was the first time that we saw that. And we went back to our, our law enforcement and said, you know, what's up with this picture? And the first response that we received was, well, that's your crime scene. How about that, Mr. Fung? The photo is really chilling. You have to go look at it. And how was this missed? We're like, wow, 13 and a half years later, this is what we're seeing. Wow. So we're slowly but surely putting together the pieces of the puzzle, uh, some from the files that we've received, and a lot of it, honestly, just from the, the, the work that our investigative team has done. And every time that something happens in the media with Jennifer, literally one or two people step out from the dark. So who or what? We'll step out of the shadows after this podcast drops. I know I can count on you listening to my Full Rigor podcast to look into this case and perhaps help me and help the Kessie family crack it and find out what happened to Jennifer Kessie. Maybe she's still alive. We don't know. We can only hope. So, honey, I'm coming. I'm coming. It's been too long, but I'm coming. Well, that wraps up this episode of Full Rigor. Thanks for listening. 
Make sure you check me out on Instagram at Fulberger Podcast. Download, subscribe, give me five stars, please. And next week is Thanksgiving, and I'm going to tell you about a story that happened on Thanksgiving years ago that was absolutely horrific. The Thanksgiving massacre of a family of actually a photographer that I used to work with at Channel 25. So, until next time, thanks for joining me.